smooth sounds, man, can only mean one thing. Fat Kev Smith gonna try to sell you some shit. That's right, man. We gotta pay the bills around here, man. So every once in a while, I gotta vend. Let me vend, man. And when I'm vending this week, some of the shit's even free. So get off my dick. Monday morning, every Monday morning, there's the new spoilers. The new spoilers that's gonna be dropping uh, on this Monday... Uh, we go see Magic Mike and see Channing Tatum's fucking wiener. And uh, we talk to John Favreau. We don't see his wiener, which was probably a good thing because it would have been very awkward in the middle of the conversation if he just took it out. He's like, look at it. Look at it. It's money. Vegas, baby, Vegas. That didn't happen. And it's a fantastic fucking interview, man. It's 40 minutes long. We kind of had to cut it down for 10 minutes for the show, but you'll see the rest of it later on in the season so check that out as always it's at hulu.com slash spoilers man that'll be episode five we're halfway through our first season yay for the san diego comic con don't forget saturday night i do my q a in hall h uh but then at 11 p.m me and ralph uh garman doing comic con babylon july 14th at the house of blues right there in San Diego. End your Saturday night at Comic-Con with us getting shit-faced, laughing at fucking Aunt May jokes, man, because that's the town to rock an Aunt May. You can do a fucking Spider-Clone joke in that room bring the house down. Never mind that. Moving on, man. Uh, Smodcast, live in front of people. That's right, people. People in Portland, Oregon, specifically. Uh-oh, it's magic. Me and Moj at the Aladdin Theater. Copyright Kev Smith. Um, August 17th, 8 p.m. Me and Moj, Smodcast live in front of people at the Aladdin Theater. But check this out. You want to see me by myself? Well, then you got a new hope, son. That's right, man. Going to Star Wars Celebration to do an evening with Kevin Smith. August 23rd, that's uh, at the Chapin Theater at the Orange County Convention Center there in Florida. It's going to be a good old time, man. Star Wars fever. I'm going to walk the floor dressed like a fat Tuscan Raider. If you see one, if you see a Tuscan Raider, see a sand person, looks portly, and you're like, I don't like the shape of this guy. That might be me. Come up and say hi. And I might be like, oh, 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 and shake my fucking gaffy stick in your face. Canada, you're never left out. August 24th, me and Muse are coming to do Jay and Silent Bob Get Old right there at Fan Expo Canada, man. It's an awesome comic book convention in Toronto, August 24th. Come see us there. And, and look, if you can't make it there, the very next day, let's say you're in Ottawa and you're like, I can't make it to Toronto so far. My dog sled doesn't work in the summer. Well, guess what? We're coming to you. We're doing Ottawa Babylon. That's right. I finally make my Ottawa debut in the nation's capital, the nation being Canada. August 25th, me and Ralph at the Centerpoint Theater. Oh, it's going to be a blast. Ottawa Babylon. Tickets for all these shows are available at csmod.com. Now, that shit you got to pay for, man. But what about the free shit, Kev? The free shit. I like that. Fat Man on Batman, all free. People seem to be digging it. Film School Fridays, new podcast where I, I sit down with kids who are in film school and ask me questions and shit. Smoothie Makers, we're rebooting Smoothie Makers, and there's new, all new content in there and, and new stuff to hear, and I got new interviews in the pipeline. All that shit at smodcast.com, man. Brand new homepage at smodcast.com. New landing page. Makes our world a lot easier to navigate. Thanks for hanging out, man. Without further ado... Here's another fine Smodco podcast.
this is Jack Morrissey with uh, Team Jack, episode 37, Crave, which we spell the normal way, right? Correct, with the C. Okay. <laughs> I'm here with Charlie DeLazarica, and for those of you who have never had the pleasure of spelling his last name or figuring out whether or not the D in D-E is lowercase or uppercase, or if you have to organize them in your contacts, do you put that D uppercase, but not... The D is only lowercase when the entire name is present, correct? That's first total, name that's first. Totally, you're wrong. You're completely this, wrong. It's all fucked up? The last name is Lazarica. So what's the... The, the D is like a hood ornament on the car. <laughs> the D is... Treat the D, treat the D E like a middle name. Really? Yeah. It's not a middle name. It, it is, I mean, you know, when you do the whole name, it is like the connective... And it's French, right? Uh, Basque. Basque. Yeah. Even worse. <laughs> even better. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the, the DE is just like uh, this vestigial thing that just like hangs out there, and you only use it when you use the full name. If you just use my last name, it's just Lazarico with a you alphabetize me under L correctly. Right. Of course, I know. Yeah, of course, I know that. Yes, because of your creaky old AOL email address. That's right. Um. So for a lot of you guys listening, you'll know. You already know who Charlie is. Um. Charlie is one of very, very few guys being generous. Charlie, what would you say? There are two of you or three of you who are responsible sort of for DVD, deluxe, bells and whistles. Inside the business, it's called added value. Outside in Best Buy and uh, Costco and Target, it's called special features. You uh, were one of a handful of guys who aligned yourselves with a-list, A-list, top-tier um, iconic directors right. and were responsible for um, bringing their movies to this new home video format of uh, digital video disc, which I assume is what that stands for instead of something even D- digital Digital versatile disc. Is that what it stood P- for? Partial. No, that's they kind of both. Digital right, right. video or versatile. Um, yeah, there was, uh, there was more of us. Back then, you know, in the in the in the golden age of right. DVD, which was what year would you say? Um, I'm going to say from like uh, 99 to 2000. For me, 2007, but some people say 2004. But I think that was like the golden age, and uh, huh. since then it's been sort of uh, morphing into the new digital download era slash Blu-ray kind of you know in between zone that we're in right now. Right, where the studios are generally speaking less in, less interested in spending a lot of money to create comprehensive documentaries on the development, pre production, production, post production of a yeah. Film. I mean, you know, they're they're trying to be more responsible about what they they do it for. I mean, back then, any movie had special features, right. automatically got a commentary, featurette, whatever. Right, and now they tend to pick and choose a bit more. They'll they'll use more promotional stuff for. Right smaller films or medium-sized films and it, so-called epk footage yeah. which is like footage shot so-called b-roll can you even define b-roll yeah b-roll we always like back up and bear in mind that a certain part of our listenership sure. has no fucking clue as to what we're talking about yeah b-roll is like the uh, the actual like onset footage like the supplemental footage that's used to illustrate the points made right in the a-roll which is the interviews basically like the talking heads okay i did not know that yeah so <laughs> basically uh you know that you, you kind of start off telling the your, your narrative with the right. a-roll and then you use the b-roll to like you know illustrate it so that's right. kind of where that comes from the difference is epk tends to be more promotional right. EP, epk stands for electronic press kit right which is where you find the 
B-roll. Correct. <laughs> and uh, and that's meant to sell the movie. And the stuff that I tend to focus on, especially well after the fact, is more archival, you know, kind of like take a film historian approach to it. I, I, I try right. to anyway. Right. And, uh, and try to tell like the actual honest story about the making of the film. I feel like by the time you buy a disc that has my stuff on it, you've already paid to see the movie in theaters probably. You've right. already bought the disc. It's time to right. stop selling you and start right. telling you basically. And you've start... probably seen the movie in theaters more than once. Probably, you know. But jumping back, the point is that now for a lot of titles that don't perform as well in the box, uh, at, at the multiplex, studios are m- more than happy basically just to dump the EPK footage onto a DVD and call it a special feature, no? It depends. It depends on the director, too. I mean, if the director right. has any clout, he they'll, won't probably stand pu- for it. they'll probably push for something more. Right. You know, that happens frequently. But And gets it? Uh, it depends on the director. Right. You know, there's a fine line. It's like, what's that that, that fictional line on, like, the, the Hollywood star power list or whatever that says if you're above Greg Kinnear, you get pretty much anything you want. If you're below Greg <laughs> Kinnear, you don't. Um, something like that, except for directors. Right. Whatever line that is with directors, right? you know, there, there tends to be a certain breed of directors that gets, you know, pretty much whatever they want, even if it's a smaller film. Right. You know, um, just, just, you know, to kind of keep the relationship positive. Right. But if you're, uh, you know, if you're an up and coming director, chances are you won't get everything we'll get you it. want. You yeah. might get some of it, you know, because they want to foster a good relationship. But they have to be realistic. They have to look at their bottom line. I, and I hate that I sound like a studio person now, but yeah. it's just but the you world. Have to we, be familiar with every aspect. Of I your try business to all the way through. I try to understand where they're coming from because mm-hmm. a lot of times we butt heads over budget or scope or the tone of it. Right. And and I try to understand where they're coming from. I really do. But I'm also trying to convey to them what the fans want. Right. It's not just what the filmmaker wants out of vanity because sometimes it is that. Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's just pure vanity. Sometimes it's pure vanity. Sometimes it is just to tell a very interesting story about the making of the film. But right. ultimately, the people who are buying the discs are, are who I'm thinking about. Right. Because I'm one of them. Right. And, you know. You are, I, in a, you are your own best customer for abso- sure. Absolutely. And that's Looking why I. This I, room we're sitting in at your place. <laughs> which would. Yeah. With all your. Uh, but special packaging that all, most of the good stuff comes from Je- uh, from Japan, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. you were saying? Um, I don't know. You derailed me with discussion <laughs> of, of my room. So yeah, there were a few of you. There were a few of the a few of you there back at the beginning. There was a lot back then, um, and now there's fewer. Um, or a lot of those guys have been assimilated by by companies, right? Or they've gotten out of the business entirely, you right? Know? Or they're taking long breaks between projects. It kind of right. depends on what their their status is, for you know? sure. For sure. But I mean, I'm lucky. I'm, I'm very lucky to, I mean, I, I stay pretty consistently uh, employed. Um, and, you know, it's not easy. It's definitely not, and it was, it's never been easy, but now right. there's the added dimension of the economy and the reality of the budgets and, you know, what you can do on, with, with less film, with less right. money, basically. It's just, it's just, it, it is a new challenge beyond just the creative, the political and the, the legal and the technical. It's just, there's, right. there's now this whole other thing you have to consider. Now I could, um, fumble my way awkwardly through your credits in terms of everything that you've done to this point uh archivally as you would say whether or not that's a word um for certain directors and certain films but i'm more interested in basically just asking you um in your new york times obituary which uh which titles would you uh, most want to be remembered for before we start to move into your own future? Um, well, I mean, I think certainly Blade Runner has gotten the most right. response. For Ridley Scott. Yeah. I mean, I, I do most of Ridley Scott's special edition discs. Right. 
and uh, you know, Blade Runner was my own personal dream right. DVD project because it's my favorite film, and I, I've been I was chomping at the bit to do that for years and years and years. Right, and it, it took years and years your favorite to do it. film of all time. It does. It's still mm-hmm. my favorite film of all time. I, right. I never get tired of it. And um, I always find something new in it, which is what blows me away. A lot of movies it's I don't crazy, find things. You probably have seen it what, about seventeen times by now. Oh, more, far <laughs> more than that, far more than that. But uh, no, every time I see it, I, I do find something new, or I see a little detail I didn't catch before, or right. whatever. But um, you know, Blade Runner, the Alien anthology, you know, the four Alien movies right. that, that those sets, I think, uh, have been well received. Right. Um, which used to be the Alien Quadrilogy. Correct. For DVD. Correct. And then was retitled for Blu-ray. Blu-ray. Right. With a ton more stuff on the, on the Blu-ray. Right. Um, me personally, I, I, I really, uh, I mean, I'm very proud of Black Hawk Down. I think that's a really great set just because it's not just the making of the movie in pretty right. uh, specific detail, but it's also, it captures the historical background of it. Right. And we actually have this commentary with, with four of the real guys who were there. Right. And that is, you know, that's fascinating to hear. And, and if you're listening to this podcast right now, chances are you own that disc because didn't that disc kind of come packaged with like every Black Hawk Down? Yeah, every DVD or Blu-ray. Maybe the uh, the regular... I have a perception of that. Yeah, maybe the regular, the regular, the regular one no disc edition. Yeah, but the three-disc one is the one to get. That's like, okay. you know, that's huge. Right. But then there's, you know, Kingdom of Heaven and... and Gladiator. Gladiator and Spider-Man. I have to look over at the discs now. Twin Peaks, actually, that's another one I really... I had a lot of fun doing. Well, that's um, interesting. Was that a recent thing? Twin Peaks? Yeah. No, that was the same time as Blade Runner. That was 2007. Oh, Those okay. came out, like, almost back-to-back, which was... Okay pretty you know that's a pretty geeky geeky year for me it was those two going simultaneously wow um and currently you've just wrapped obviously well i don't know where you are in deliver uh, overall delivery with prometheus also for the for ridley scott but you were also responsible for transformers three last uh, year yes. two and two and three two and three yeah. you're on amazing spider-man i'm on amazing spider-man Sony, I'm, right? I'm, fi- I'm finishing up prometheus like literally as, as we, we speak. as we record, yes, yeah. uh, it's it's almost done, and it's it's pretty mind blowing. I gotta say, I mean, I can't really talk about what's on it yet, but it's just uh, even I'm kind of like shocked by right. what we got on this disc. Um, That's great. And then then I go, I, I'm I've already been working on Spider Man, um, but right. but we go in kind of like the final stretch on that, and that delivers you know about a month later. So okay, so that's almost done too. And uh, are those the big boys moving? Those are the big boy sort of jobs currently moving through your life, right? Yeah. I also I just finished The Good Wife season three, which I always do The Good Wife. Okay. And uh, and I have another catalog title I guess I can't talk about yet, but like that's my right. current slate right. That, I'm, right. that I'm on. And then right. I've already started looking ahead towards shooting behind the scenes on some other upcoming films. But, right. um, but you know, the, the, the big thing for me now is my own movie that I'm... Exactly. I'm You're, trying to Are you literally amongst those guys who there who again were there at the dawn of added value or whatever the fuck you want to call it the dawn of special features yeah for dvd are you the only guy now to have directed a feature are you the first guy to have directed um, a feature? i honestly don't the know first producer technically which is your title right i i honestly With don't know that, that, that i that i know of <clears throat> perhaps i mean yeah. um I believe there were some others, but like guys who went back to like the Laserdisc era who might have done features and uh, right. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I feel like I'm blanking. I think well, there was Laurent Boussereau who yeah. does all of or does many, if not all, you would know better than I of Spielberg's titles. Yeah, has moved into sort of um, high end books. 
uh, on the making of certain movies that you and I both consider classics, but he hasn't actually directed a feature. He hasn't, mm-hmm. Laurent seems not to have moved into yeah, his own I, features. To be honest, I mean, I, I, you know, I used to be much more in, in, in contact with all, like a lot of the other producers out there. And I, and I still am, I still am with a lot of them. I mean, we're right. Facebook friends or whatever, but for sure, I feel like, um, I might be the only one, or at least from the DVD generation, right. I think, to have directed a feature. But right. I know I, I think I've talked to some of the other ones. And they all want to do it, you know. Right. Um, and, and they've all made you know strong efforts towards that. Right. Um, but I yeah, to me, I don't. I'm but not you're like crossing the line. You've crossed yeah. the fucking line. Look, it, for me, it, it's, <laughs> it's for myself because I've been totally. wanting. I've been wanting to direct a feature since I was seven years old. Since I saw Jaws. Right. And you know, it's taken a long time. I mean, this right. the, my my path has been a very circuitous very strange path and right. um that i finally did it and got it off my my chest was huge i mean i, I feel right. like i actually could die happy now frankly i mean it was such a it was it was a pain in the ass to make this film it was a very difficult film to make however when it was done i i wanted to keep going i didn't want it to end i wanted to keep right. shooting you know right. not because right. i wanted to make it better and better that that's also true but i just right. enjoyed being on set i enjoyed the working process. i love the process so yeah. much and i can't wait to do another one now um the movie we should say is crave title of this podcast um how long did what was the germ of the idea for crave and when did you have it well it's it's kind of a long story but i'll try to shorten it um well this I, is podcasting dude it's like I know. it depends on, depends <laughs> let's, on let's see how time your brunch is right let's see how interesting <laughs> it is um so basically, this goes back to Blade Runner. Um, I had become very friendly with uh, the Dick family, Philip K. Dick's family. Sure. Sp- specifically, science Issa. fiction author whose short story or novella, yeah, no, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, was, that Blade was, Runner is based on. Correct. And right. I and I became really close uh, with uh, one of his daughters, Issa Dick Hackett, who kind of runs the the film side of the family of the estate. And still. Yeah, still with those. these remakes of Total Recall. She, yeah, I mean they have so they have different different sort of like levels of participation, sure, creatively or financially sure. or whatever. Sure, but she she kind of handles. She's in charge of the film side of the estate. Okay, um, and we've been talking, and I and I was again, I wanted to get out of the DVD thing and direct something. So I, I proposed to her. I said, "Hey, can I direct a short film based on one of your dad's short stories?" And right. she thought that was great, and she gave me five stories to pick from. Right. And I read them all. I thought they were all wonderful. But I found another story that was not one of the five that I loved. Okay. And I pitched it to her, and it became so big, it actually became a feature-length idea. Okay. So th- I started developing that with her and, and Kaylin Egan at uh, Electric Shepherd Productions. And we, we did a lot of great development. It was really... Is that their company? That's their company, yeah. Electric <laughs> Shepherd Productions. Love that. Um, and... You know, we made a lot of progress. It was all very interesting. But, you know, one day Issa said, you know, this is going to be a slightly expensive first feature for you. Right. It would be great if you had just another, you know, feature under your belt. And I thought, well, that's a good point. You know, right. I, should, I should maybe do like a test run before I do this big science fiction thing. And just to, um, you probably don't want to commit to a number and certainly not on the air. But when she's referring to that initial budget number, is it over or under 20 well, that the, the, the original conversation at that time at, in that conception at, at that time it was it was, it was it was a bit under okay a bit under um, right so s- simultaneous with all this my my former neighbor next door neighbor who, who by the way in the house next door is the house where arachnophobia was written a little side note by who <laughs> uh that's an excellent question i don't know are you online no 
Matt Cohen is here, by the way, <laughs> on a Sunday morning in Los Angeles. Um, I want to say like Dan Waters or something like that. I don't remember, to be honest. It's been no, a while. It wasn't Dan Waters. No. I used to know. Okay. Anyway, keep, he, he did, yeah, anyway. Hold that. Hold, <laughs> don't look at your Japanese no. packaging. Hold the thought and keep rolling. And um, while you do it, I will look it up. Anyway, so Rob Lawton used to be my neighbor. And, you know, one day he came over and dropped off a DVD in front of my house with like this bad Sharpie writing that said sex and sushi on it. And, okay. he's, and he kind of said, hey, take a look at this. And like I didn't know what it was. It was like a short film. Well, okay. it turned out to be a full feature that he completely did on his own, um, like a $50,000 feature. And you know, it was rough and, and scrappy, but it had a confidence to it that I liked. So I basically right. said, hey, do you have any other stories or ideas? I need to make a, a feature, <laughs> like just right. like right now. I got I to gotta get a feature going. You know, wow. What do you have? And he pitched this, this idea to me, which was essentially the pitch was Walter Mitty meets Travis Bickle. Okay. And and I really liked that a lot. And I said, okay, so it's basically, now, uh, yeah. Hate to hate to do it, but yeah. in one minute or less, who is Walter Mitty? Who is Travis Bickle? And yeah, we kind of have to get ready, Twilight Moms. <laughs> Wait, you don't know? No, it's I'm concerned. I'm concerned about certain aspects of the listenership not knowing I see. or percentages of the uh, listenership. Walter Mitty. Uh, which is, by the way, being remade right now with Ben Stiller. I believe it's right. shooting right now. Right. Um, it's basically a story about a, a man who uh, has these very whimsical fantasies. You know, he goes he goes through life right. fantasizing about a, a better life or about these right. you know these kind of amazing moments he he wished he had in his normal humdrum life. Right. That's the one half of it. The other half of it is Travis Bickle, who's Robert De Niro and Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. who's a you know we'll we'll say this a slightly disturbed individual. <laughs> um, so right. so for me, it was the combination of this this guy who's absorbed by a fantasy life, but they are dark fantasies, and he's kind right. of a darker, more fractured character like Travis is. Right. So that fusion interested me quite a bit. Right. So Rob um, and lends itself to directing. Well, I mean, yeah, is, absolutely. Is an, yeah, is an innately visual. It, no, so it, right out of the box is a showcase. If exactly, it's, if it's, it's well it's a executed, showreel movie. So for sure. Um, but honestly, I was actually thinking about the characters quite a bit. So Rob took a, you know, we, 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 he came over and we had epic meetings here at the house mm-hmm. about what this could be or what the story was or what his ideas were. And then I would just kind of throw back my thoughts on his ideas. And we went back and forth for months until finally he started delivering first act, second act, third act. And your next door neighbor is delivering pages to you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And this is how this is how it goes in Los Angeles, folks. Yeah. <laughs> so the Hollywood um, Hills. That's right. So, uh, you know, I, I had some issues throughout the stuff he delivered, but the the core I thought was there. Right. Third act was a total rewrite. That that was like we, we went totally off the rails in his third act. Right. Um, and we had big arguments about it, but like you know, passionate arguments where we're trying to like make it better. You know. Yeah. So. Um, good fences make good neighbors. Correct. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, the big thing, though, for me that was sort of missing was like at the heart of this was this core relationship that our main character, Aiden, who's our Walter Travis right. fusion character. Right. Aiden had a, a kind of a strange uh, dysfunctional relationship with this girl that he had just met. Right. And that I thought was really interesting. That, to me, that was the core more than the vigilante side, more of the Travis side. Sure. Which is there. And that's really like the meat and potatoes of the movie. Right. Um. And even more so than the, than the, the dark skewed fantasies. To me, the, the the heart, the core of the film was this relationship because right. that's what he that she symbolizes what he wants more than anything, which is this escape from this 
terrible salvation. life he has. It's a total salvation. Yeah. Hence, crave. Like, that was like that. He craves this more than anything. He craves the relationship with her. He cra- craves, craves her. her. It, he I craves mean, salvation. Correct. Via um, her. And, and, and it's crave, you know, it's obsession, really. But, right. you know. Uh, so, anyway, that... I, and so, I, I had just... I mean, I don't want to get too specific about this, but I was dealing with some stuff in my own personal life that I had right. to get off my chest. So I kind of right. fused that with this story. Which so, is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and I worked a lot of my it's own. the way it's meant to work. Correct. Yeah. That's right. I worked a lot of my own shit out with this, basically. Right. Awesome. So, um, so it started to come together. Third so act. So now was, again, when was this? This was, uh, I don't know, maybe 2008 sometime. Four years ago. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, just we kept developing, developing, developing. And I finally said, you know, I, I, we've reached kind of an impasse where he was not going in the direction I thought we should go in. And I was right. starting to, like, lose interest directorially. Right. So I just said, do you mind if I just take a shot of polishing? And he said, yeah, no problem. Go ahead. So I started polishing. And my polish was like a three and a half week polish because it was almost like a page one rewrite. Right. Um, I kept a lot of his dialogue. Once you get started. Well, yeah. Once you dot, get, I mean, dot, dot. Yeah. And the thing is, you have to immerse yourself. You have to almost, you know, embed your own DNA in, into this. Right. Of course. So I, um, you know, I, I kept a lot of his structure and his dialogue and, and scenes, but I kind of just worked it a little bit differently shaped it a little bit differently and right. ultimately i worked more of the the romantic side of it um, right. a bit more to the i brought that to the fore right. and then the third act was a complete do-over right um and the third but, act, what's that but in the process what you're talking about is sort of a lot of structural and technical rewriting in the process what you're what you're actually doing not unlike a certain thing in the third act of a certain movie that you're working on right now yeah. is you're falling on top of that thing and you're basically impregnating you're delivering your own self back into that thing yes and reawakening your own interest in directing it that's right again that's right i'm the trilobite i guess exactly yeah um so and that and that happened and then you know he read he read what i wrote and i think he was kind of taken aback by how much i rewrote well i'm sure and uh we had some you know long discussions he by the way he had moved to florida by that point good we had like these five hour <laughs> well not not for the phone bill we had these five hour long conversations conversations on the phone those are deductible business expenses Charlie. yeah they are <laughs> you, you bet they are um matt cohen you're going out for a smoke i would say go up the stairs and then out the the deck there yeah um so uh, is that by the, by the way is that that usually happen in your podcast you just have oh, a little yeah. smoke break oh yeah 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 great all the time great sometimes not cigarettes <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry there's no weed lemonade here or, or I, I didn't ascertain whether or not there was any THC infused lemonade here <laughs> Cohen anyway um where were we that I was completely he's moved yeah. to, he's moved to Florida oh, that's right, now Florida. you're that's right and uh, racking up the long distance right and uh you know, it just got to a point where, you know, it was, it was kind of more of an amicable, like, can I just buy the script from you? Right. And just have my way with it, basically. Right. And, and he, you know, he agreed, and we kind of went back and forth on the deal and landed on something. Um, and uh, I bought it, and then I owned it, and then I just then I just completely wrote it the way I wanted to write it, you know? Right. Um, again, keeping a lot of was his stuff. Was there a sitting on it period while you got busy with no. other movies? No. Um, there was definitely some, you know... Uh, ups and downs in terms of my schedule and, and trying sure. to, you know, keep the day job going sure, and for then sure. getting back to this. But, um, so, so, you know, I, I was getting really busy again with the DVD stuff and that's, that's where I had to find a window and an opportunity and the finances and all this to make this happen. Right. You know, 
So it took about another year after that. Which is not bad. It's not bad. No. Um, and uh, so I think it was like late summer, um, September-ish, uh, 2009, where I went to Detroit and started uh, prepping. Okay. Shop. And you had all your money in place when you started prepping? Uh, yeah, except it went, it went over budget while we were okay. shooting. And that yeah. had a lot to do with a lot of mismanagement and, uh, you know, <laughs> some, some very interesting producing. characters that got mixed into the, the, the you know, the group here. And right. I, I mean, we did an audit and it was a shit of, show. It was disturbing. It wow. was disturbing, the wow. audit. Um, you certainly don't want to talk about how much or how little. Nobody ever wants to talk about how much or how little any movie costs until it's well out there it's yeah. been out there for a while and then you can look back and say gods and monsters cost three and a half million dollars and it's a badge of honor or right. not are you comfortable talking about your your um what do we call it these days capture system what you shot on we shot on the red one okay. um a little bit with 5ds canon 5ds and 70s like little pickup things here and there but right but uh primarily is the red one and how many reds have come and gone since? Oh, God. I've and there's a new thoughts. one coming that starts with E, like Echelon or Excelsior or something that yeah. I just heard about. I'm, anyway, yeah. were you, how, um, how satisfied were you with that overall? I was very satisfied. Overall? I was very satisfied. I mean, the camera itself is not uh, the issue. It's the lenses. Right. The lenses are far more important. Um, and we, we, you know, my, my DP, uh, Will Eubank, who directed the, that film Love, from uh, several months ago, which I don't know, the, okay. the Angels and Airwaves film that was playing the festivals. Okay. Um, Will has an amazing eye, and, um, you know, he brought great glass with him, basically. And we had, wow. we just, the, the look of the film is so beautiful and, and handsome glass because lenses, of the lenses. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, right. You could, you could, I mean, seriously, the camera's important, no doubt, but right. but the lenses are, are just as, if not more important. I, I found in my experience on right. this film, I mean, I've only made one film, and it's just, right. it was definitely an education, but, uh, how many, um, again, to the degree that you're comfortable mm -hmm. saying it, how many shooting days did you have? Uh, I believe the final tally was 21 and a half. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Um, and we shot one day, you... one day in Chicago. We did most of it in Detroit and one day in Chicago. Okay. Because Detroit wouldn't let us shoot one scene. And Detroit qualified you for the, the rebate. Michigan State rebates. Right. And I believe Crave was one of the last films to get out of Detroit with that rebate because they, right. they shut it down after that. Right. Okay. Um, and so jumping back just a bit, you've got a screenplay that you've arrived at um, that you're finally fully vested in. As far as you're concerned, that screenplay is what I've heard some people say, camera ready. Um, you're ready to roll on that. That's, this is exactly the draft that you want to shoot. Um, you're, how did you approach casting? Um, it's interesting because you know every director puts together their dream cast, right? You know, with A-list actors, and you know you're not right. going to get them, but you kind of like take a stab at that to, for to sure. kind of set the tone. For also, what if you want. you're writing on that script yourself, you yeah. can't help but right. And you're, you know, everybody goes to the movies every weekend out here. Yeah, so we're surrounded by it. Everybody goes to Starbucks every day out here. Right, we're surrounded by it. Right, <laughs> but but you know it's interesting because I mean I knew I was going to make a low budget film. I knew I wasn't going to be able to afford you know big actors, but right. I still tried to get you know if not like huge name actors at least really good independently oriented actors. character actors character actors but also you know i mean people that i think could be stars right um but just aren't point. yet they just aren't yet and maybe your movie will maybe help to get them from here to there that was that was the hope sure. but you know even though i felt the script was pretty much exactly the film i wanted to make this 
this very interesting thing happened, which I think I'm sure happens to every single film that gets made, is every little compromise, every little decision, every little like act of God that happens right. knocks your film off course half a degree here, two degrees here, and, and you're just slightly starting to like waver a bit. And you, as the director, really ha- you have to try to keep that line. Right. You have to keep going to that same destination you wanted right. from day one. Right. And I'll admit, I, I took some hits on this one that I was not expecting to take, and I definitely went off course quite a bit. Interesting. Um, but I did think, you know as it was happening that you were going off um, course? It was a bit of a blur. You know, right. it was like you're right in the middle of the bullets uh, are flying. Oh yeah. But um, were you into when? When did that did start, this happening? start to happening? Is it oh. happening in casting, or is it happening when oh, you're yeah. actually in? No, it was happening in location scouting because originally a script was written for New York. Okay. I went to New York twice and two different times of the year for weather to just check out New York. And I, I mean, they had their own Made in New York program, which I was trying to take advantage of. Sure. Still too expensive to make this kind of a movie. Right. Um, I looked at L.A. thinking all my resources are here in L.A. And that was like really expensive to shoot in L.A. Right. So, and how uh, do you determine expense? You hire a line producer, you unit production manager, and you basically pay them out of pocket to well, in this, in this draft case, a budget for you? In this case, we had a couple different guys draft budgets right. you know, uh, for this. And... Um, I, you know, I said, look, I've got this to spend, and the budgets were always, you know, a bit over that. Yeah. Um, but eventually, I, I, I was started dealing with, you know, the the reality of it doesn't matter what the budget says. We have to make it work for this amount of money. Right. And, you know, we started with that. Um, right. And, and and that's where Detroit kind of saved the day in a way was that rebate kind of made the difference. Right. Basically, so it's like, right. well, we could we'll spend this this extra money to go to Detroit, but we'll get it back for sure, and therefore. Ultimately, you know, theoretically, we should land at that number that we we wanted to start at. That's right. We still went over because of all Which, the other by the way, stuff happened. But uh, I spoke we uh, spoke recently with a mutual friend of ours who was also involved with Prometheus, and we were talking about the budget number on that. He brought it up, and he said, you know, the real budget number on this was, and not that you know, not that bullshit budget number that someone at Universal is going to give you for Battleship when they're going to claim it cost X and the reality is it costs X times seven. Um, the real budget number, once all the rebates were figured in, so even a movie like Prometheus is, and no, I will not finish that sentence, but even a movie like, even a, mo- a movie with the scope of uh, Prometheus is still cashing in uh, rebates. Yeah. <laughs> Rebate checks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to get more bang for... Um, for the buck. Yeah, I mean, that's why I think Ridley likes to shoot in the UK, because the rebate. Right. You know? Right. Um, I, I mean, I'm sure he's going to, whenever he can, he'll look at that, because that buys him so much right. else elsewhere, on, you know, on right. other things on, on the budget. So, right. Um, so you go to, so you go to Michigan to get yeah. the rebate. Uh, did you shoot Detroit for Detroit, or did yes. you no, shoot we, it for New York? Not only that, I rewrote the script for Detroit. I actually worked okay. in local, like, terminology and uh, slang Right and and actual street names and you know I I made it a full blown Detroit script. Do you feel did you do you feel that that's a a compromise or do you feel that that's just well, a change in direction? It, it is a compromise, but it turned out to be I think a happy compromise because I think I mean, Detroit, Detroit is so less shot than New York. Well, not only that, but the thing is with, with New York, you can fall out of bed and get a great shot. You can shoot anywhere in New York and it looks amazing. Right. Um, Detroit, not so much. However, Detroit has this extra bit of like funk and grit and. Decay. Uh, decay. Unbelievable. That's really decay. actually beautiful decay. Spectacular. There's this one documentary that was recommended to me uh, in the early days of, of Crave while I was prepping it in Detroit called uh, Detroit Wildlife. Okay. Which you can get on Vimeo or YouTube or whatever. And that opened my mind to like how to shoot Because it's all Detroit. these rotting buildings that are literally being reclaimed by nature. Right. 
uh, rapidly. Rapidly. Right? It is. It's, yeah. it's like this. Not unlike the, the lower scenario. ninth ward or whatever of New Orleans, right. I think, which was just the subject of a cover story in the New York Times Sunday so, magazine. So that opened my eyes up to Detroit, not only as a really you know visually dense and rich location, but also that there's all this, these possibilities there that you might not think right. to explore. Right. And so in all of our location scouts, I was always thinking about, okay, here's a scene that takes place in a, uh, in a playhouse, for instance. We have this scene, and it's like the, the, the two main characters go see a play. Right. And when I was in, in Manhattan looking at these 99-seat black box theaters, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, this is boring as hell. Yeah. visually yeah this gives me nothing to They're pretty ugly pretty ugly yeah so in detroit you know that was one of the fir- their first thoughts like the location guys and where they're, they're thinking okay let's look for a playhouse right and i said let's not look for a playhouse let's let's look for something different exactly and we ended up shooting this scene at the the kind of abandoned Belle isle aquarium with all this green tile and, so these, awesome. and these tanks that we put like orange light shooting out of and Can't it's like this see that. otherworldly thing and it, and it totally plays as a play chances are has never been shot before. I yeah, it could chances be are day. nothing has ever been yeah. shot. It's never really been captured for a feature film. That's Pro- awesome. It's, it's, it's probably awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that, that was my methodology in terms of locations was like trying to find locations for like 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 locations that didn't match at all. You know, like right. we had to shoot at a gas station. Well, let's shoot you know in a barn. It's like let's, right. let's do something different. You know, and and but let's also find big spaces that just yeah. get that give your movie scope and scale. Totally. Um, and they're all a fucking abandoned anyway, so it's not like it's not going to cost you ten bucks more to shoot at that abandoned movie palace. Yeah, but I got to tell you, I mean, Detroit is not as abandoned and you know eroded as as people think it is. I mean, is it's, so? it's a really vibrant, beautiful city. I just it, that city just needs some love, is what it needs. And yeah. they had it with their film industry before the the new governor came in and killed the the rebate program. There were so many new jobs being generated there. There was That's so much new work going, like flooding Michigan. Right. Um. And this governor and it really came in did, and killed it. It did go to the governor. It wasn't yeah. the state legislature. It was this, this well, this governor. new governor came in and said the rebates too. It's too much, and we're losing money. And wow. not, I don't think he thought it through in terms of like the amount of jobs that were coming and how it was actually helping the economy. Yeah, you know, rebates are always a political football. The Missouri Missouri had a pretty aggressive rebate for a number of years as well, and then the um. Yeah, the state government basically not not only eliminated the rebate, but completely broke up and dissolved the uh, Missouri Film Commission. Right, it's just gone. By the way, so. is this the most boring podcast you've ever done? Because nope. we're talking about rebates and and no taxes and locations. No, and- the thing about podcasting that Cohen. It's <laughs> the most boring me. one we've ever done. Objectively, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. First, first Kevin it. Smith and then Cohen really sort of showed me the ropes in podcasting and made the point over and over and over again until I finally absorbed it that tr- truly somewhere, someone who's tuned into this right now is, is all about it. I see. All about it. And someone, by the way, who's thinking of making a feature sure. like myself is... Yeah, what's your story? What's going on? Why, where's well, your, where's your feature? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> and by the way, I decided about 20 minutes ago that this entire episode is going to be crave and for for those of you who are interested in uh prometheus we'll see you um when are you releasing on home video um i don't know if that's been officially announced yet but it's not Break some news it's man probably Come on. it's probably the fourth quarter in time for the busy busy holiday buying season it's not going to be after fucking Christmas. No, no, no I'm June. sure. I'm, I'm sure it'll be before Christmas. And you'll you'll come back, and we'll talk Prometheus. We can talk briefly since it's like hot, the hot topic right now, where everyone Whatever. is like um, tearing it apart. But when did you 
When did you find that most of your comp- your what you would call creative compromises, I suppose, were taking place then? All through the process, it was, or all was through it the mostly process. during principal photography. No, it, it was a slow boil. You know, it's like right. you don't even realize it's happening as it's happening, right. which is interesting to me because you're a pretty tough personality, and I'd be surprised. It's I find it surprising that you're not aware of it happening, um, and interesting accordingly, especially given your personality. But that you would that you would also, I mean, if you had any level of awareness that stuff was going on, it would seem to me that you would be awesome at holding a hard line well the thing is to be honest i i wanted i was kind of treating it as a learning experience as well which hello and, yeah and i and i kind of steven spielberg treated warhorse <laughs> is, that, is that a good analogy well, and, the, and the terminal <laughs> yeah exactly Let's go through the list but oh, anybody wow. who's not treating it like a learning experience if ridley scott on some level thinks he's just gonna go and again like him yeah. dump his seed into some script yeah and a, a classic is going to come out the other side i mean everybody's alive yeah. you know yeah why I, make I, it if you if no i know there's I, no I, challenge in it you know i knew i knew it was happening it's just that i wanted to take it i also believe in happy accidents and i and i want to take advantage of things like curveballs thrown Surf at me it. Ra- yeah exactly rather than hide from it or run from it or For throw sure. a tantrum yeah, I wanted to explore. Hey, let's see where this brings us. For sure. Like, I'll tell you a story. Basically, it was Ron Perlman. Ron Perlman's in the film, right? Yeah, I mean, we have to sort of run the cast down. Yeah, uh, the lead is Josh Lawson, who's on uh, House of Lies on Showtime right now. He's right. a really funny, smart guy. Right. Uh, Emma Lung plays Virginia, his love interest. Uh, What's she from? Uh, she's from Australia. She was on Entourage. She's in a lot of independent films, a lot of modeling. Uh, she's really smart. Um, okay. Very beautiful and. Um, uh, Edward Furlong plays her on again, off again, ex boyfriend sort right. of, you know, foil of the of the love triangle here. Right, and uh, and then Ron Perlman plays Pete, who's uh, Aiden, the main character, his best friend, who's a police detective. Right. So um, it's Ron Perlman's last day, and uh, uh, this is like midway through the shoot, and it's about I don't know five thirty six in the morning, whatever. I'm leaving the hotel with my assistant, and we're walking out of the lobby to go to the car, to right. the location. Walking into the lobby is Ron Perlman, and I'm like, "Hey, Ron, how's it going?" It's like, "Shouldn't we be going to set?" And he's like, "Actually, he's coming in." <laughs> and uh, and I and I and we're talking, and, and he just comes up and he says, "So, Charlie, here's how it's going to go down." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah," <laughs> and he's like, um, "I think Pete is down with the Rastafarians." And I'm like, "Okay." I didn't know what he was talking about. As he's saying this, I look up and there's like this gash in his head because he has white hair and it's like this pink strip and this gash in his head with stitches. Wow. And I'm just like, I mean, I almost like threw up because I thought, oh my God, this is like my, my big actor in the movie and he hurt himself, you know? Yeah. So um, somehow there's a variety of stories how it happened, but sure. um, he, he fell and uh, hit his head and he had to go to the hospital and get stitched up. Right. So what he wanted us to do was to send uh Oakley Stevenson, the, the costume designer, to go down and grab a Rastafarian beanie, right? You know, a red, black, and green beanie right. for him to wear, right? Which he give me the line again. <laughs> I think Pete is down with the Rastafarians. Pete, his character, his character. <laughs> so, uh, so sure enough, the, the like pretty much the last climactic scene of the film, 
he's wearing he's wearing that fucking hat (laughs) and and that's what i was thinking that's a happy accident because and that that by the way this is not a boring podcast (laughs) yeah totally that's when i thought you know what it's kind of meant to be for a reason and this film is already straight in occult territory anyway so let's just go with it put your foot on the gas instead yeah of the exactly i mean it's like that line of buckaroo bonsai you know what's that watermelon doing there it's right. like you know why is pete wearing a, a rastafarian beanie you know right right and uh so it was like it was it was I, I i allowed the control to kind of slip away a bit not not so much that we didn't have a film at the end of the day we have a film right you know and it right. it works and it's all cut together nicely and it but works. it's its own organic thing. it's its own organic thing right. um, if we had actually did a snapshot of the film that was in my brain at script phase, it'd be a very different film. Right. But I'm kind of glad. But would we, it be better? Um, it'd just be different. Yeah. You know? And I've, I've had to make my peace with that film is long gone. That, that film yeah. will never, never exist. Certain aspects of that film may resurface again in future works of yours. Um, I don't think so, to be really? honest. I think I got this one fully out of my system, to, to be honest. Okay. Um, but So those ideas that you didn't fully realize, you're perfectly happy to sort of put them on the ice flow and... I, th- I mean, look, I'd like to, I just like to do something new right. and, and, and try new things rather right. than try to spend my career fixing the, the previous film oh, through sure. a new film. You know, for it's like, sure. why would I waste a second opportunity at making a movie on fixing the first I, one? Yeah, what I was thinking more in terms of was just uh, creative preoccupations or sort of stuff that you didn't yeah. get around to addressing. No, I mean, I, I, have, I have a lot of different creative you know, things preoccupations. I'd like to yeah, I totally <laughs> I do. I mean, yeah. it's endless. Um, but I, you know, I feel like, look, Crave is the film it was meant to be. Right. You know, and, and I think it's a damn good film. I mean, for a first time director, I think it's, you know, I've seen far, far worse. Right. Um, and I've seen better, but I've seen a lot worse. And right. I, um, I have not seen it for the record. Oh, you saw the trailer, though. And you saw, I was you saw very impressed. And yeah, I saw a scene that I was likewise impressed with. Um, is, is, uh, has it been... Well, here's so here's the thing. Last week we we did two episodes back to back. The first one's already aired. The next one will air Wednesday. So this one will actually yes, right? <laughs> Cohen. Last Wednesday though, you mean? Last Wednesday, the first one aired. Mom's song, right? Well, la- and then the last next Wednesday, one, la- <laughs> this coming Wednesday, which is last Wednesday to the people hearing this is what well, yeah, I'm saying. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's always you're fucking anyway. with people's heads. But right? here's the thing: so this episode will actually air on Wednesday, July fourth, in yeah. theory, right? Yeah, wow. which means uh, a long that way. No of one's gonna be, no one's gonna be listening to it. No, it's in advance <laughs> of Comic Con, right? So has the Comic Con announcement been made? Uh, I don't think any announcement has been made uh, for this panel, but yeah, we're going to be at Comic Con. Um, uh, certainly by Wednesday, July fourth. By the oh, time yeah, you're yeah, listening yeah. to this, then folks, you should know. You should know that if, if be, all of this sounds uh, you should, interesting yeah. to you, and you want to actually, chances are either see the trailer, which may or may not be online by this point. On do you know where you're going to put it online? I mean, you know, it, 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 it'll it'll be everywhere. I mean, we're going to source it probably off of Vimeo, but it'll it'll go to like the website cravethefilm.com. Okay. I'll have it on Facebook. Okay. Um, you know, I'm I've you have a you have a fan page already for Crave. Yes. On Facebook. facebook.com/cravethefilm. It's all Crave okay. the Film. Tweet okay. Crave okay. the Film. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly by Wednesday, the 4th of July, it will have yeah. already been announced that you're doing a panel down at San Diego Comic-Con. Yes. Uh, Probably Thursday. your 47th panel down at San Diego Comic-Con. No, I, I, you know, I'm sure. This is, I, I'm doing like three or four panels this year. That's a new record for Whoa. me. But, um, it, it's you know thir- what that means, Charlie? It what's means that? you're not down on the fucking exhibit hall floor. 
what where the that? action is I don't know. scrutinizing what everything the, on the tables. I don't know. I feel like the, 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 the are floor you over is like it? A, I'm not over it, but I feel like I'm seeing like the same stuff year in and year out. Because you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so you're doing a panel. Thursday. While you're doing three panels. <laughs> the, the the Crave panel is part of this uh, this Hall H panel called At the Drive-In that Robert Burnett is, is moderating, hosting. And, and that's, you know that's, that's, that that's, that's 6.30 p.m. Thursday in Hall H. Um, and it's going to be uh, Crave. I think it's Cold Water, Dave Parker's new film, I believe. Okay. Um, I don't know if they're going to they're going to sneak any other films, but it'll, you know we'll be up on stage. I'm trying to get some of the actors to come down. We'll show either the trailer or that clip that I showed you earlier. And what's the name of the panel again? At the Drive-In. So what's the connecting tissue there? I think it's just cult meant to movies, be cult sort of new cult, fringy movies. type films. You know, in Hall H. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That's well, awesome. it's kind of like at the end of the day when people are kind of wrapping it up and heading out to dinner, you know. Wow. But uh, yeah, but still, it's, it's still Hall it's H. Still Hall H. You know, the first it will have been announced by this time. Uh, by the time anybody's hearing this, that we're first out of the gate in Hall H on Thursday morning. Yeah, as we were last year, and that's whatever, like a six or seven thousand seat or something yeah. like that, isn't it? Six thousand. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. But okay. I mean, you know, by the time you get to our thing, I'm sure it'll be, we'll be in the it's still hundreds, Hall H. But still Hall H. No, I can. I can. You're not over in the Hilton rights. Bayfront in no. a conference room like a lot of panels were last year. I know. I know. What are your other two panels? Uh, the Blade Runner 30th anniversary panel, which oh yeah. is Friday. I'm not sure what time. I think it's Friday, six thirty. Right. In one of the other smaller rooms. Um, also, thir- like no Hall H for Blade, Run- Blade Runner's 30th anniversary. Because there's no big event behind it. It's like five years ago for the 25th, there was a huge event. We did it. We did a Hall H panel okay. five years ago. Okay. Um, and there was the big splashy release for that. This year, they're coming out with a new uh, like 30th anniversary box set that's kind of a, just a repackage of the previous stuff. Are there any new goodies in it? Not really. I Toys, mean, statues. Oh, well, there's a new uh, spinner. Yeah, which is actually pretty cool. They took the existing mold of the old little toy spinner, okay. but they they're calling that it that came with the suitcase. Yes, box. Yes, but this one they've repainted it and they've made it a Sid Mead concept spinner. You know, like the Ralph McQuarrie concept action figures, right? Mm, so slightly redesigned, slightly it's got the gun on top of it, silver. When's that coming out? I'm literally like I've just busted open my iPhone and I'm making <laughs> note of this now. <laughs> I'm sure you'll know all about it. It's like sometime. I think it's sometime You'd be in October. Surprised how checked out I can be. I think it's sometime in October. I don't know the okay. date. Um. So yeah, and then there's gonna be like I think I think the only new thing really is like this photo gallery that we didn't get on the disc last time. I think they're gonna put that on, but I have no idea what state it's in. I haven't seen it yet. Um, right. I'm actually just now starting to talk to Warner Brothers about it, so we'll see. Right. Um. And, Sid Mead concept spinner toy. Yeah. No, it's pretty cool. I'm I mean, I saw that. the packaging. It looks I'm all about that. Yeah. I love I love that stuff is getting into producing concept stuff now. Yeah. Some of it's a little. You know, when they're doing like AVP concepts, yeah. Sideshow Collectibles is doing AVP concepts that didn't get realized in either AVP movie, and I guess they're coming from ADI, Amalgamated Dynamics. It's sort of like, and it's it's it it's usually like unused Predator concepts yeah. or Pred-Alien concepts, yeah. and you're just like, really? But with this Macquarie stuff, the yeah. Ralph Macquarie... Darth Vader concept helmet that uh, EFX released last year, and I think they're doing a, a Ralph McQuarrie Stormtrooper concept helmet is the next in that line, or Boba Fett. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all of, about this shit. I'm kind of over Star Wars, but I could almost go from McQuarrie Stormtrooper helmet. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The question is always, when you get down to this stuff, is like, well, out of all the Stormtrooper helmet concepts that McQuarrie did, McQuarrie that. recently passed away, it's yeah. like, which one do you put your finger on and i know in the case of the darth vader helmet the one that they decided ultimately to do was the one that ralph mccrory decided 
ultimately should most be realized in three dimensions, you know, and he was personally involved with that project. So, well, I've always loved that piece that he did of, um, the, the kind of like the The duel, the, the, no, the squad of storm. I mean, in terms of stormtroopers, the squad of stormtroopers that are kind of like coming down the corridor and the one out in the front has the lightsaber. That's right. I love that art. Well, gentle giant is doing a comic con exclusive this year, a mini bust of the stormtrooper, the Macquarie stormtrooper concept holding a lightsaber. Yeah. Which again is probably about as um, about as tall as the drinking glass in right. front of you there. Yeah, but it's a it's a it's a mini bust. I mean, you'll be right. able to see it in the Gentle Giant, or you'll be able to pick it up actually in the Gentle Giant booth. But I don't know. I find myself more and more moving away from mini busts yeah. and stuff like that. Action figures, like what, not at all anymore for me. What's that company that that did those amazing, uh, like beautifully lit up uh, enterprises and, and that wipers? Is quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics. That's right. QMX. They should do Prometheus. I think the, the, the Prometheus, the ship. That'd be amazing. I, mean, I would love to yeah. get that. That would be amazing. Yeah. They use a company in Florida, actually. I think called like the 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 model company or the FX model company or whatever yeah. who does most of their actual prototyping and I think actually does most of their builds and QMX just basically functions as a someone who handles right. the licensing and then obviously well, those handles distribution. Amazing. I love those things. But yeah. Um jumping back to your movie. Yes. Because I can do that. Yes. Um so you get that cast in place, you go, you have your shoot that ends with Ron Perlman's bloody head, right? <laughs> By the way, Ron Perlman, before or after Drive? Uh, before Drive. Before Drive. Yeah, okay. we shot like a year before Drive, okay. which is strange because... Was his hair but, white in Drive? I don't uh, No, that. he kind of went darker with it. He went darker gray. Yeah. Okay. Um, but no, it's so, pretty white-white in your movie. It's, it's pure white in my yeah, movie. Snow White. So, so Drive, Crave, five letters, R-V-E yep. in the same position. Yep. Both have Ron Perlman. Both have the two dysfunctional romantic leads living on the fourth floor of an apartment building two doors down from each other. It's very Trying strange. Trying to save themselves yes. through a relationship with yeah. a woman. Correct. That's interesting. And if I had seen... <laughs> if, the thing is, you know, Drive was made a year after Crave, but right. Crave is coming out a year after Drive. Just right. that's the way it goes. Yeah. But I, I feel like uh, if I had seen Drive before I made Crave, Crave would be a very different movie. That's interesting. Like Drive changed my world. Like that really just knocked me on my ass. You I loved did. it. I love Drive. That's like yeah. my favorite film like the last... 10 years probably wow i really crazy. love that movie cohen you love it too right i was mezzo mezzo on it yeah it felt like a vestron movie from 1986 <laughs> that's to what me. i loved about it i know <laughs> i was wearing my drive shirt this morning man is that true last night yeah, yeah, yeah. Obsessed <laughs> with that movie <laughs> um how tortured was your post production uh, process well it was tortured and that it took a long time because yeah. again it was sort of like then you really have to by the time you're finished with principal which you blocked out on your calendar well, for I, haven't, yourself. I haven't told you the big story like in terms of like the, the why post took so long but basically we left detroit missing a major scene of the film because detroit wouldn't let us shoot this scene why it took place it was supposed to in the new york version of the script that took place in the subway detroit doesn't have a subway that they have a people mover that no one uses really is it below ground or above no, it's ground, above ground. It's like okay. an ultra type of thing trolley and um so we had this. It's the scene that sets up everything in the movie. It sets up the character and his his headspace that he's in, and and the Walter Mitty, Travis Bickle of it all, right? right. And it involves some gunfire and a blowjob on this train. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I told Tony Scott like that they wouldn't let me shoot it. And he's like, really? Like like that's every day is blowjobs and gunshots Scott and Tony Mom, yeah, Tony, Tony sure. Scott movies. But it, it was, they wouldn't let us shoot this. This one bureaucrat at the People Mover office, she read the script and she said, there's no way I'm letting you shoot this in Detroit because it made Detroit look bad. I'm thinking, well, first of all, it's a fantasy. It's not really happening. But yeah. secondly, it's like, 
you're kidding me. <laughs> you're not going to let me yeah. shoot this scene in Detroit yeah. after for weeks you've promised us the use of your people mover. Right. That we you know, we built this entire schedule around. Right. So I left Detroit without that one scene. We tried, like the mayor's office tried to help. All these people tried to help out, but it was like it's like this kind of quasi independent office that no one could control, right? Right. It's like seven months later, I finally get to shoot that scene. I shot it in Chicago, on the L train in Chicago. Okay. The day Score that, by Tantrain Dream. Yes. <laughs> The day before, I'm supposed to start work on Transformers 3, because Transformers 3 was shooting <laughs> in Chicago. So, like, the day before, well, I'm shooting yeah. Crave on the train, and the next day, I report to set for Transformers. <laughs> yeah, the day before, you report to Michael Bay's yeah. set. Yes. You, you report to your own set. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is considerably more sane, one presumes. You know, it's... I don't even know. I, I, I love Michael Bay sets. They're they're amazing to Wild watch. Wild and woolly. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he literally snaps his fingers and it, it happens. Like, he wants a Blackhawk helicopter, boom. It just, like, five minutes appears. It's just, like, it's, <laughs> it's incredible the power he wields. And, yeah. and I love watching it happen, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so, you got that last scene in the can. Yeah. So, that was, you know, that was, again, seven months after we wrapped in Detroit. So, the film, right. we, we, we started assembling the cut during that time. But we were still miss, missing this key scene. Right. So we finally got that, and then we kept cutting and cutting and cutting. But the thing is, we were we kept having to jump back and forth between the DVD work because I used the editor on this. David Crowther was cutting a lot of my DVD stuff, like right. Transformers Three, right? And um, and like a lot of my post people were kind of tied up in the DVD work, and it was just it, it was it wasn't like the kind of nightmare you get when you're on set and it's just like everything's happening, everything's dropping like a giant anvil on you. Right. This is kind of like a slow burn, kind of like you know right. thing it was like a death march that we were on with this with this post schedule right but then it finally got done and i finally got to focus in these you know kind of concentrated bursts throughout that that year or whatever right. it took right and uh and then the other person i really have to mention is this guy raleigh stewart um who came in and did like i don't know 67 like 60 or 70 visual effect shots right for free just to build his reel Unbelievable. And this guy's one of the most talented guys I've ever met. He also did the title sequence at the end, which I didn't show you. I'll show it to you later. But you, I, I have like that incredible title sequence. He does menus for like the, the Blu-rays <laughs> and DVDs that I do. Wow. And he wants to also break out of that right, of and course. do visual effects and titles. And his titles on Crave are insane. Really? And That's I, awesome. And I said, hey, you want to take a shot at doing some visual effects? Right. And he sort of started doing them and doing them and doing them. And he did like the by far the most... Uh, effects on the film and they're they're fantastic what he did wow. and he saved the movie basically because you know we, it was such a rough shoot we you know we got stuff in the middle of shots and booms and things are all these continuity problems that he smoothed out he just kind of basically painted the the paint away wow you know that's awesome yeah and sound and score uh score was ultimately by uh by justin burnett who is um he works with harry gregson williams quite a bit or, right. or he has in the past uh, he's doing right. a lot of his own stuff now really talented guy he jumped in at the last minute because my original composer chris drake had been on it for months and months and was right. put, coming up with some wonderful music but right. chris's schedule uh changed quite right. a bit he's he was doing a lot of stuff for warner brothers animation okay like you know wonder woman green lantern sure dark knight stuff sure um and he ultimately for a variety of reasons bowed out um leaving me kind of in the lurch for a bit. I was very right. pissed at Chris for a while, but you know, right. we're, we're good friends. Um, and the, the funny thing about this story was I'm on the set of Prometheus at Pinewood studios in London and yeah, in London, just and, outside London. Yeah. And, uh, I'm just kind of hanging out. It was like the week before shooting. I think it was. And Ridley just kind of calls me over and he says, Hey, what's going on with your movie? Cause Ridley's been great. Ridley watched my movie, gave me great notes on it. Right. I mean, everything he said was absolutely right. I cut eight right. minutes out of the movie just off of, off of his notes. Right. And he said, "How's your movie going?" And I, I said, "Well, you know, it's going, it's going good. We're getting ready to, to do the, the mix and everything." And he said, Who, right. who's, "Who's doing your music?" And I, and I told him, Chris Drake. And he said, "Okay, well, if you if you, you know, you're going to need any help with the music, let me know. I, I know some guys." 
Like, okay, great. <laughs> that day, Chris called me in London to say he couldn't do the movie anymore. Wow. It was like a, the timing was incredible. And like wow. so the next day, I have to go back with my tail between my legs and say, hey, you know, if you, if you happen to know anybody. <laughs> I actually you know. didn't know how everything was going on my movie. Yeah. Or there was a thing I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, he hooked me up with, with Harry Gregson Williams and, and, and Mark Streitenfeld. And then um, a, another friend of mine, Sarah Begg, hooked me up with uh, Bear McCreary, actually. Oh, wow. And actually, Bear came here to the house. He sat on this couch and watched the movie here and, and right. gave me fantastic notes. And right. the thing is, all these guys were busy with their A-tier projects. Right. So they all... Bear McCreary on The Walking Dead. Yep. Um, um, and Harry Streidenfeld. Was, Streidenfeld, Streidenfeld is, is yeah. Mark is Streidenfeld. how you pronounce his last name? Streidenfeld yeah. and Streidenfeld. Harry Gregson Williams yeah. both on Prometheus. Well, that not at that time, right? Harry was on Cowboys and Aliens. Okay, Mark was on The Gray, I think, at that point. Okay. So they were all busy with their own stuff. I actually went right. down to Harry's office and showed him a bunch of the, the movie, and and he again was very supportive and helpful. Ultimately, I all got their like proteges, right? You know, right? And Harry, uh, you know made a really strong case for Justin and Justin is who I ultimately chose, although they were all great. Um, right. And, and Justin jumped in with like no time or money and just, just knocked out a really wonderful score. I thought that's awesome. How long did it take you to finish the movie after you shot the last scene in Chicago? On the oh L-train? God, that was July of, you were already well underway on post. So actually that's not a good, yeah, you know, it took like a, it took over a year. It's probably like a year and a half. I mean, right. and the thing is then, even when it was done, it kind of sat for a bit because I had to go back into Prometheus and right. Spider-Man, all these other projects. Right. Um, and, uh, and I still have a couple tweaks I want to make to the film before it goes to festivals. But, right. um, you know, uh, it, you know, it's definitely been a long, it's, it's taken longer than it should have, but I just, I had to keep working to make money to then right. put back into the movie. Of course. You know, of course. So now it's the calm before the storm for you. As, yeah. as we record this, the trailer has not been not yet been released online. Um, your Comic Con panel with whatever you end up showing at Comic Con, yeah. depending on how down Comic Con International is, is or isn't with R rated R rated content being yeah. shown in Hall H on panels. Yeah. Um, and then you're already you've already been accepted into. Uh, the Fantasia Film Festival, which is in Montreal, you said? It is Montreal. That's the world premiere. And Sitges, which and I Sitges, today yeah. learned the uh, correct pronunciation of, yeah. which is in Sitges. Bar- yeah, right? Bar- Barcelona. It's in Barcelona. It's like 30 minutes outside of Barcelona. In the town of Sitges. Yes. Got Be- it. Beautiful beach town there. Fantasia and Sitges are... You would have to say that the two, and maybe with Fantastic Fest in Austin. Look, if I got Fantastic Fest, the major, Fest, major, it would be the trifecta. genre festivals. It'd be the that crown. is the trifecta for me. Yeah. Okay. And so Fantastic Fest actually sent me an email the other day saying they want to see the movie. So we'll see. Right. I hope, hopefully they like it. And, um, you know, I presume there's a relationship between Fantastic Fest and Alamo Draft House and Mondo. Yes. There must be, right? Yes. Because all roads lead to in Austin. All roads lead to um, Tim, right? Yes. Tim, Tim, Tim League. League, yeah, right, right, right. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, so that'd be awesome. And when is Fantastic Fest? Um, I'm not sure, but well, because I'm not in it, I can't. I'm not even thinking about it yet. But right, I mean, right, right. But I think it's sometime in August or September. I think it's. I, I, I think it's September, maybe. It's a uh, fall festival. Yeah, it's like it's in, it's in between. It's in between Fantasia and Sitges. Got it. Got it. So it's going to be busy times for you. Well, hopefully, your, uh, knock wood. I, I taking your get suitcase it, out in the road as Condon puts it. Yeah. Know? No, so I, 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 I can't wait. I, I want to definitely uh, hit the festivals hard and have fun and try to sell the movie. <laughs> you are looking for distribution. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, I've been approached by a lot, but um, you know, it's again, it's uncharted territory for me. So I'm just trying to 
find smart, the best, be take smart your time. about it, take my time. Yeah. But I can't take too long because then if I get any time, like a moment of heat on it, I got I got to strike. Right. So it's just finding that right. Do you have a sales spot. rep on it? I don't. That's that's kind of like what I'm doing now. Now that I can actually focus on the film again. Has I'm CK seen it? CK at WME? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. No. He moved to New York. Okay. I talked to him the other day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he lives in the world of sales reps and Sundance and all that kind yeah. of stuff, you know? I can't remember where I left it with them. It's yeah. gone to a few people, but, you know, it's an interesting film. It's, 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 it's a film that you watch and you say, wow, that's really well made, but I don't know how to sell it. And I, I disagree. Yeah. I think the trailer sells it pretty well. I think that... Well, uh, having you know, seen what you've shown me, uh, or just based on this podcast alone, you could say gunfire and blowjob i mean which which you know if we weren't and ron perlman in a rastafarian beanie totally it's like how do you sell it huh how do i sell violence and sex i just can't figure it out it vexes me it's like come on um how okay so people who are interested in following the um following the journey of crave it's crave the film it's look it's google.com Crave the film. We'll take you to the Facebook page. We'll take you to the official website, mm-hmm. um, the panel in Hall H, where you can actually yeah. see some of the footage I've seen today. Hopefully, by the time something the, you'll uh, see something. Yeah, hopefully by the time this podcast is up, that there'll be more of a presence. Right, but right now, the Facebook page is probably the best place to go. Um, right, but uh, yeah, we're starting to beef up slowly. Here. Interested persons can contact you through the website or whatnot. Yeah, probably the yeah, sure the Facebook. Right. page or the website there's right. nothing really at the website yet we'll put the trailer up as soon as that's ready but um do you have a personal website for your I business don't. i don't for the dvd i, I have like lazarica.com which has been for the last like 10 years coming soon yeah i have jackmorrissey.com which is just sitting there with I, the I just, Jack illustration i know i just i've been too busy to do it which yeah. is a good thing i guess that means i don't need a website because i'm just always working but it's true we're sitting I, in a beautiful house that's oh, thank uh, you the the dvd's built um, or your documentaries built, I should say. Are you on Twitter? I am, but I don't really use it much. I've only tweeted twice. Still, what's your handle? It's our uh, thing. Laz- Lazarica or whatever. It's supposed to L A U Z Z I R I K A. Correct. That's it. L A U Z I R I K A. You didn't have to take your second choice. No. <laughs> Lazarica two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to jam um, in? God no, I mean, I, I, I wish we didn't. I wish we could have talked about Prometheus because it seems no, like there's so much Prometheus going on. Prometheus won the, especially given has anything been announced about that DVD? Not really, but I'll tell you, most of what's out there is inaccurate. Okay, but we definitely know some material is going back into the movie for. It may I, or may I, not. They, you know what? There's been no official announcement, and and I, I think a lot of the rumors out there are just rumors, really. Right. I mean, well, I, here's I'm hoping. Yeah, here's hoping that more Prometheus. You're gonna. There, there's gonna be a lot of great stuff on this disc. I'll just say that, right? And, and you'll you, just come back and talk about it. Yeah, and uh, sort of like walk and talk us through it. I think that'd be awesome. True, because uh, Condon and I, Condon and I saw it again yesterday down at what used to be the bridge, right next mm-hmm. to the 405. There, they have a pretty good 3D IMAX screen, and we got um, you know choice seats. We went in, and for me, it's like. I'm sorry. It's a fucking masterpiece. It's my favorite movie of the year. Wow. I cried again. I cried the first time I saw it. Where, where, what point in the movie did you cry? Um, I cry... Well, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, right? Um, I cry when David loses his head and when David and 
Wayland, Wayland or Wyland? Wayland. Yeah, cover it up, Cohen. Cover it up, Cohen. Um, Wayland. Have their final exchange there on the platform or decking, whatever you want to call it. Um, I find that there is nothing, right? right? Yeah. I find that unbelievably moving. I get chills even talking about it. And then um, the exchange between what's her name, Claire or something. What's her? Who's the lead girl's name? It doesn't matter. Shaw. That's the lead girl, Elizabeth Shaw. Yeah, yeah. The exchange between her and David at the end, where they're talking about going off, and I need to know. He says, "I think it's irrelevant." And yeah. She says, "Well, that's what makes me a human being, or whatever." I find that with that main hopeful sort of theme of discovery by Harry Gregson Williams, I understand now uh-huh. as I've purchased the CD and. Uh, read the notes uh i find all of that uh, very very moving and like great science fiction right so yeah i'm always uh, um or not not always but the two times i've seen that movie i've cried during both those places both times so what's up well i think you'll uh it's a you'll enjoy movie. the blu-ray quite a bit yeah there's no question so um well thanks for letting us uh record in your house oh yeah my pleasure um, sorry, we put you, we ran the rapids through text messaging to throw this all together, which is how it goes every fucking week. Yeah, it just gets thrown together. So, Cohen, you have anything to add? Not since we last recorded. Nope. All all the same, nothing's changed. Okay. <laughs> um, at Camel Toad on Twitter, at Jack underscore Morrissey with two R's and two S's, at Team underscore Jack. Also, look for us on Facebook, Pinterest, Tumblr, the whole fucking thing. Do you do the Whatever. Pinterest thing? Do you like Pinterest? Uh, one of one of our uh, team members runs the Pinterest thing, yeah. I see. Because I've done it, and I'm, I'm not sure why I'm doing it, but I still do it, because it's just something to do. Because you're terrified that it'll become the new Facebook. Yeah, I know. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and if you don't get there first, someone else will get there with your last name, although I find that very unlikely. <laughs> um, I guess that's it for episode whatnot, uh, 36 or whatever, and um, 37. And uh, we'll see you next time. Out. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Prepare to be smotivated by Smodcast.com's guru of gab, Kevin Smith. Pick up his new book, Tough Shit, Life Advice from a Fat Lazy Slob Who Did Good. Available now in hardcover, enhanced, digital, and audiobook. Learn who inspired Kev and be inspired to follow your dreams. It's like a Tony Robbins seminar on steroids and with a lot more fucking profanity. Neil Gaiman says, 
I suspect at that Kevin Smith is what all gods and demons aspire to be. And Tim Burton says, I certainly would never read anything written by Kevin Smith. Pick up Tough Shit, Life Advice from a Fat Lazy Slob Who Did Good by Kevin Smith. Available every goddamn where. Love movies? What a goddamn goinky-dink. So does Kevin Smith. Want to be on his weekly geekly talk show, Spoilers on Hulu? Kev is looking for people to watch this summer's big screen blockbusters, then sashay down to the Smotco Studios at Universal City Walk in Hollywood and talk about them. Sign up for the studio audience waiting list at smodcast.com slash spoilers. Do it. Do it now. <laughs> Smodco needs to put asses in seats for Dark Knight, Spidey, Total Recall, and more. Smodcast.com slash spoilers.